This is a GRDC podcast. Hi there, I'm Hilary Sims. As many in the industry predicted, wheat growers in the northern grain growing region are currently experiencing one of the worst stripe rust epidemics in recent memory. It started early, fueled by wet conditions and volunteer wheat plants in the Greenbridge building disease pressure through autumn. Mori Street is CEO of Grain Arana Alliance, or GOA, and they've been conducting trials this year to provide a stripe rust early warning system for the central north region of the New South Wales cropping belt. The trials, supported by GRDC, are focused on identifying and communicating local dominant stripe rust pathogens to help growers and advisors make management decisions without the time delay of individual paddock sampling and pathotyping analysis. In this podcast, Mori analyzes how the season has played out for stripe rust so far and shares the insights that have come out of these trials in such a high pressure year. Here's Mori. We've come into the 2022 season with quite elevated levels of stripe rust because they're bred up in that out of season period. So what that has shown up as is that we've got quite an early epidemic of stripe rust into a lot of our varieties. The continuing wet conditions that we've also experienced has allowed that to propagate as well. And that's showing up where we've got significant stripe rust infections in a lot of varieties as, you know, I guess what pathologists will term a seedling infection. And with those seedling infections, a lot of the genetics or the expected resistances that we have in wheat varieties don't traditionally kick in that early. So we're actually seeing stripe rust in varieties that you would otherwise not expect it in. And because of just that immense pressure from that inoculum load that's carried through that green bridge, quite significant infections. So it's been pretty alarming to a lot of growers and yeah, what we're seeing in the paddock that's probably one of the worst stripe rust epidemics that I can probably remember. And it's certainly some concern and a bit of a challenge in trying to manage that. Absolutely an understandable concern. Mori, what are the implications from this early onset of disease and what are the management recommendations that you have at this point in the season? Well, I guess the first thing is, as I just mentioned, we're seeing it exhibit itself as a seedling infection where, you know, that adult plant resistance hasn't had a chance to kick in. So that's introduced an element of doubt or question over the genetics of the varieties we've got and their resistance and how they may perform going throughout the year or as we move later into the year. And I guess that's left growers questioning what should they do? Should they rely on that expected genetic resistance to kick in for those varieties and those crops to clean themselves up or do we need to intervene and bring some fungicides into the system and spray so I think a lot of people have probably heard on the cautious side and brought fungicides into the system and introduced them in their herbicide sprays and that's probably been certainly of some good value to just try and take that infection out early but the scope of their effectiveness is now running out. We're starting to move into the later stages of the crop cycle, you know, crop elongation. Yeah, we're now at that point now where growers need to make a decision as to whether they continue a fungicide program or whether the genetics is actually going to clean those particular varieties up. And on the topic of rust management decisions, GOA introduced some trials to help give growers the upper hand on pathotypes and patterns of disease this year. How did this work come about? What were we hearing last year 
was growers were seeing responses in some varieties they simply didn't expect and it wasn't necessarily any resistance had broken down or anything but they had a prominence of a pathotype that they didn't traditionally have in their area or hadn't really considered when maybe looking at those resistances and stuff like that so to identify pathotypes you know with the support of GRDC there is a national rust survey where you can actually sample those infections, just sample the leaves off infected crops and send them away and they will pathotype them. So they will come back and say, well, this is pathotype X or Y. And that may help explain the situation that you're looking at. But the difficulty or the problem in that is that that actually takes time to do that. And growers and their advisors were sitting there in the paddock going, well, we need to do something now. It's great if we get some feedback later, but we need to know whether we need to go now or or not. So we kicked off a bit of an initiative this year with what we're just calling Stripe Rust Sentinel Trials. And what that is, it's just a series of wheat varieties. It's a, a range of about 18 different varieties that have different genetic background and different susceptibilities to the different Stripe Rust pathogens. And in theory, depending on which ones actually got infected versus which ones didn't, that hopefully gave us a really good insight into the probable pathotype at those sites where we had those trials. So we saw them as potentially a bit of an early warning system that maybe we could report to our growers and say, well, hey, look, your closest trial to you has the 198 pathotype or whatever, and through that might give growers and advisors some confidence as into what they may do, whether they spray or not. So how many trials were established and how did it all unfold for you with this high disease pressure that we've seen? We established six of those trials across the Goa region. Unfortunately, one of them got drowned, which is probably no surprise to a lot of growers because uh, it's just been excessively wet this year. But we managed to get five of those established and we've been monitoring them through the year. Now, some of the earlier assessments that we did, it probably did tend to give us a reasonably clear picture on the pathotypes that were probably likely present there. Unfortunately, you know, as things turn out, it probably wasn't as clear as we hoped because we got such an early epidemic. Those infections came in quite early in that seedling stage. And as we said there before, what that meant was that, you know, most varieties could take some level of infection. So we didn't get that differential response that gave us absolute confidence around what was actually happening. So You know, there's still value there, I think, in what we've done because we've also been able to see as we've monitored those ones going through, we've actually been able to see that there has been some clarification around some of the genetics there. Some of the the more resistance, the R and the MR type varieties that we have in that trial, although they had seedling infection and that was a, a big concern to, I think, all of us, is they've subsequently started to clean themselves up and that disease hasn't progressed past that seedling stage. But then there's other ones in there that, you know, have much lower resistances and they're probably doing what one would expect is that they're suffering from stripe rust and that disease is certainly progressing in there. So I guess that's good in that it gives us some confidence in the genetics that's there in most cases that it's doing what it should do. I think the other thing that it probably does is that because we had such pressure earlier on, even in some of those more resistant lines, you probably are seeing stripe rust in there. 
And in isolation, if you put a set of blinkers on and looked at it, you'd go, oh, that's a concern. We, I've never seen that level of stripe rust before. Something's gone wrong. We need to do something. But it's not until you pivot right or left in that trial and you actually look at the susceptible lines that you realise that they're doing pretty bloody well. They're actually very clean respectively to some of the other more susceptible lines where they've just literally turned yellow. So it's a good tool that you can see those different genetics all in a small, unique area, whereas growers, on the other hand, they've got a whole paddock of it and they don't necessarily have that luxury of seeing that whole range of varieties and seeing those different varietal responses. Absolutely. Well, it's certainly the year to have a trial like this to see the different variety responses. Do some of the results surprise you or is it just to be expected with such high disease pressure so early on in the piece? I think the first thing I'd say is that, you know, that high disease pressure is probably the first thing and that such an early epidemic was, you know, a a bit of a, it shouldn't be a surprise, but it was a bit of a concern. I guess there are, you know, a couple of cases in amongst those trials where varieties probably haven't performed as one would expect. So what we've been able to do in those situations where we're sort of seeing something that doesn't quite look right, we've actually been able to sample those specific varieties and then send that away to that rust survey sort of thing. So from that, I guess in time, we'll get clarification whether there has been a shift in that pathotype and we're seeing a change in those varietal resistances. But I suppose, you know, it also has served, as the project sort of intended, as a little bit of a warning sign to say, well, look, hey, if you've got those varieties, you know, you probably need to get out and check. And I guess that's the one thing I would say about this is that it's it's just a bit of a snapshot in the system, in the environment and the locations where we're at. It doesn't replace getting out and having a look and talking to your advisor and talking to some of the experts out there like Steve Sinfendorfer, the state pathologist, have a yarn to them, talk about what you're seeing and in a lot of cases there'll be a very plausible explanation to it. There's always a chance there that there has been a bit of a shift and things are changing and we'll just have to respond to that in time, I guess. What do you think the wider lessons are coming out of a season like this? It's a good question. I think the yeah, one learning might be that I think we've always got to remain vigilant. We deal in biological systems and, and as such, you know, those pathotypes can shift and change over time and we want to be careful that we're not too complacent say, oh, that's a resistant line, there's, there's no point going on looking at that and then waking up one day with a bit of an awful surprise because something has shifted. So I suppose try and stay abreast as much as you can, you know, the information that is out there on pathotype changes and stuff like that and maybe what's sort of going on in the industry. I think, you know, one thing that does concern me a little bit, and I don't know that we've got a good answer for it, is that, yeah, things do change and everything like that. And I think there's a potential temptation to just apply a fungicide to everything. You know, it's that old, well, I don't know whether it'll get it or not, you know, things might change and, look, I think I'll just do it. There's a real temptation and I can understand that predicament that growers and advisors face, but I think, you know, this year's a bit of an anomaly. I think from a sustainability point of view, we just need to be careful that we don't slip into that sort of approach where we just apply fungicides just in case because there's actually side effects of doing that. There's always some level of fungal disease floating around, lurking around, and every time we apply a fungicide, we're applying some selection pressure for those funguses. So we might be going out there and targeting stripe rust, but inadvertently 
we're selecting for powdery mildew resistance. Resistance to the triazole fungicides in powdery mildew is, you know, well documented now. And what that means is that we've sort of lost a tool in the toolbox now to control powdery mildew in the future. And what would be your recommendations for growers and advisors making their spray decisions? In a season like this, with such high pressure, even the more resistant lines are still taking some reasonable levels of stride rust. But that's not a sign that the resistances are breaking down or no longer effective. It's more a sign of the, the immense pressure that they're under. And it's not until you can actually go out and look at a more susceptible line that you realise that they're actually doing pretty well. And the old crocodile Dundee line, that's not stripe rust, this is stripe rust, you know, that might be worth thinking about. And so if you're in your paddock and you're looking at it and you're going, geez, I can find stripe rust, just take a step back and say, well, yes, it's there, but is it at alarming levels? Is it continuing to progress? And I guess really at the end of the day, do I feel like the wheels are falling off and that I really do need to spray? And, you know, I just urge growers to think about that in the year that it is. That was Maury Street, CEO of the Grain Arana Alliance, based in Dubbo. More information on this topic can be found in the description box of this podcast or online at grdc.com.au. I'm Hilary Sims, and you've been listening to a GRDC podcast podcast.